We just had sushi, sashimi, crudo seafood, tartar ceviche, and you said? Very gay, but do we have to give it a number? Can you remember the Skinzy scale? Yeah, it's one to six, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so one is straight mm-hmm. and six is gay. I think... I think that's like five? Yeah, it's Kinsey six, exclusively oh, homosexual. Six. Japanese yeah. food, that is some seriously gay food, is what <laughs> Doonan says. I've been to restaurants in Japan where they bring out a watermelon in its entirety and they open up and inside it's full of ice and one little pink piece of sushi in the middle. Basically, you're taking sloppy bits of fish and making them into these exquisite little bonbons. And that seems inordinately gay to me. (laughs) I love this guy. Welcome to Slice of Buy, your neighborhood queer bakery. Please take a seat while we take your order. <laughs> Hi guys, and welcome back to Life of Buy. This episode, if you haven't already guessed, from Elle's amazing <laughs> portrayal. What are you saying, <laughs> of Mary? a waiter is going to be all about food. This format is in no way plagiarized from the Off Menu podcast. All right, Elle. I'll stop. How can food be by? I don't know. Well, that's the dumb and fun question we're trying to answer in today's app. Yeah, so it all started when um, we were Googling buy food and mm-hmm. we stumbled across this New York Times interview with an author and the creative ambassador of Barney's. That famous clothing store in uh, NYC. I'm told it's famous. I've never heard of it. Um... The guy is called Simon Doonan, and he was discussing his 2012 book, Gay Men Don't Get Fat. Just give that you a moment to process the name. <laughs> um, an ironic lifestyle book that deals in sweeping generalizations and a fair helping of casual fat phobia. So the general concept is that uh, Doonan's saying gay food is lighter, brighter and more aesthetic, uh-huh. i.e. sushi. And that straight food is fatter fried and dumped on your plate. Like deep deep fried Mars American diner food, yeah. Then the Atlantic magazine, they like took Doonan's concept and then they made this Kinsey scale of food. So they ranked food from one to six or like from straight to gay. It's actually zero to six. From zero to six, yeah. Yeah, Just remember that. Yeah. Um, But obviously there are flaws in this system. Um, <laughs> I cannot because, detect Well, them. there are flaws with the Kinsey scale already. Yeah, It's very fun to do with food, but also uh, Doonan, uh, because of being a gay man, takes quite an androcentric yeah. approach to this, which okay. means that um, zero is... What are we saying zero is? The most Zero's straight, is, completely heterosexual. Yeah, Zero basically means like masculine food-ish, if you picture like, I don't know, a beef burger. Yeah. And... Um, Six. Six is like tiny bits of pink sushi, right? Yeah. So um, we wanted to, you know, make our own maybe. Yeah. I think we might do our own Kinsey scale of, of food. But we also wanted to know like what bisexual food would look like. Like what does food have to say about gender, about politics, about queerness? Okay. Next, macaron. I think that's like a good two. That's our housemate, Sess. 
Really? Do you think it's pretty straight? I, I think, think it's, it's pretty, pretty straight. Gay, but it's pretty like, it's pretty frivolous. It's French, but it's Don't forget you're in between. Straight women yeah. love them. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Straight women love them. Straight women femme. Yeah. I'm just going to be crunching on this Through, recording. Oh. So I'm going to put that I'm in there. I'm sitting with two. I think it's on the lower end. I think it's a four. It is. Drum roll. Five. Oh. Predominantly homosexual, only incidentally <laughs> heterosexual. <laughs> what Doonan says, the macaron craze is the ne plus plus ultra of gay foodery. I can't believe any red-blooded straight guy can even walk into a macaron shop. If you wanted to ruin a politician's career, just publish a picture of him shopping for macaron. But Cess has a good point about... This is also about masculine. feminists. Yeah. yeah. So this is a masculine gay person. It's a gay man. It's a gay man. Talking and, about bisexuality from a gay man. I think in the same way that far-left politics ends up looking like far-right politics... So thus does a, a, a six on the Kinsey scale go full circle to a one if it's about straight women versus mm. gay men. Yeah, because I can see where he's coming from, but also maybe because when I was younger, I just associated so strongly with like women having straight men. <laughs> yeah, or and that's why a man would go right. That's why a man would go into a macaron shop was to buy his girlfriend's macaron. Yeah, yeah, macaron, macaron. Interesting. Um, Next. Hang on. So, <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Which ones are the big ones and the yeah. small ones? <laughs> so, are you talking about. Yeah, what we there discovered. Are big ones and small ones, what we there? discovered through this is that Mary doesn't know the difference between a macaroon and a macaron. Which one's which again? So, a macaroon is not what we're talking about here. A macaroon is like a baked, co- desiccated, coconutty. Um, I like think the gluten-free Mrs. Crimble ones. Yeah, but I think it's like a Jewish um, dessert. Right. I think it's like, I think that's the origin. Wow. Do you know what? I have literally macaroon. never understood that they were separate things. Yeah. I thought macaron was just the French way of saying it. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, who is making two baked goods that sound that similar? Have you ever had a macaron? I've never had a macaron. Really? I've had, ever, a, ever? I've had a macaroon. Right, I've had a macaroon and a macaron. What's a macaron like um, to eat? They're like almondy little that because that's what they're made of it. yeah oh yeah that will be why you haven't had it growing up uh, listener my twin sister my identical twin sister have i mentioned that i have one before maybe not well i do um <laughs> she's very badly allergic to nuts so i never had nuts growing up i'm not doubting myself but i'm pretty sure that's what they're made of i think they are yeah i think that's almond flour or must be something like that anyway they are very i light. had them for the first time when i was 17 and i went to paris <gasps> With the money I'd raised in a jam jar. Paris! Nutella jar, actually. Nutella, as the French would say. Um, and we went to, we got a little box of macaron. Wow, at, did like, you feel a special place. sophisticated? That was the whole purpose of the whole holiday. Right. So, yeah. And were they like, <laughs> my thoughts about macarons, and this will hopefully become relevant, is that they are pastel coloured, mm-hmm. very light, Correct. very delicate. Mm hmm. You can get bigger ones. That's what I was confused by. <laughs> Some of them do look more like hamburgers than tiny little sweets. I've seen on Bake Off someone make a macaron look like a hamburger. Oh, God. You hate shit like that. Yeah, Ma- I Mary hate hates like food colouring. I hate food colouring. Actually, not in the macaron because they're already sweets. But when you're like dying, when you get into like dying a 
the pastry of a pie to make it look like a caterpillar i'm like this has gone too far yeah i don't want my pastry to be green i'm with you listen i'm not gonna stand here and 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 protect but i think that whoever invented the macaron got the coloring thing just right they are like Mm. so they do look edible they're like sugared almonds yeah so so you do you think that they're camp oh my god yeah yeah so you think dunan's right with this yeah well also they instantly made me think of um have you watched marie antoinette by sophia coppola yeah directed by the one um starring kirsten dunst that's the one the beautiful, beautiful Kirsten Dunst. She's so stunning, isn't she? Yeah. Um, no, I haven't seen it. And I am embarrassed to say that because you have told me to watch it a few times. Have I? Yeah, but then you always follow it up by saying um, that it's not that good. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does. Cause it does fall off a cliff. But like in terms of, I mean, I was reading a bit about it again today, but in terms of like filmmaking, apparently it was like a big deal. Anyway... I have shown you my oh, favourite montage scene. Your favourite montage. Which is when, after having had a big um, cry, I can't remember about what, but, you know, she's upset. <laughs> yeah. She has this huge, like, shopping spree, basically, to get over it. <laughs> and it's a long montage with, like, is it I Want Candy? Uh, I think it is, yeah. Playing in the background. And it's, like, shoes and cake and champagne and mm. poker and she's with her mates and there are dogs and it and like it's cutting 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 between uh, stuffing a cake in your mouth and putting a shoe on and then like yeah and it gets they start more delicately like putting things in their mouth towards the end it's like mm. grabbing things with your hands yeah and it is all about like this like appetite and it does kind of make you feel a bit sick but also you want to be there and it's the colors consuming are, yeah. yeah it's like consuming the clothes consuming the food and it's just it is like visually stunning, mm. like pinks and pistachios and whatever. Anyway, that scene to me is like um, queer maximalism to the to the max. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like the the color scheme and the campiness and mm. the like um, the shameless like appetite. Yeah, and the indulgence in that. Yeah, I do think is like top queer maximalism, and it's combined with this like French. Um, pretty aesthetic food so I think that's pretty what I think that's would be a pretty would be a six on Dunan scale (laughs) I agree basically the macaron is definitely a six yeah but it's interesting isn't it like we've talked about this before the sort of like lazy associations we have between pink or sugar or whatever it is with Mm. like femininity which is why it's on Dunan scale as a six yeah like where the where the fuck does that actually come from they don't know those things don't necessarily go together Mm. um and one of the reasons we might have this view of that kind of food is the French Revolution. Marie Antoinette, who was born in Vienna, was only 14 years old when she married future King Louis XVI. 14? (laughs) And she arrived in Versailles with a personal chocolate chef in her retinue. She is also known very famously and very incorrectly for responding to the news that her subjects had no bread to eat by saying, Let Let them them eat eat bread! Oh, (laughs) sorry. Let them eat cake! I got that completely wrong. Despite the phrase native being attributed to other people, the reason why we've still kept it in our, like, cultural imagination mm-hmm. is that that phrase is very indicative of the monarchy's absolute disregard for the plight of the working class yes. and the ever gaping back gap at the time between the ruling elite and working classes isn't it so lucky that we don't live in those times <laughs> i know that's what i can relate <laughs> um 
In the lead up to the French Revolution in 1789, bread was running out. There was a huge rise in population, like millions more people in France, mm-hmm. but no corresponding increase in grain production. And to emphasize the seriousness of this, bread accounted for 60 to 80% of the budget of a wage earner's family. What? That's how much of your money is going on bread. So if you can't buy it or the price increases, that affects the rest of your life. Wow. Um, bread was of such political importance that the king was nicknamed le premier boulanger du royaume, which means the first baker of the kingdom. I also just want to say that the way you said that was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I mean, what, can you say it again? No, I probably won't do it again. Okay. Also, I think actual French um, people will not be pleased. Um, basically meaning that um, the king was responsible for feeding his subjects. If there was no bread, it's uh-huh. the king's fault. Yeah. Um, and then, then in, the, in the starkest and darkest of contrasts, a feast at the Palace of Versailles mm. might include... 283 pieces of plates <laughs> for 24 people. What? Yeah. 283 plates for 24 yeah. people? You might have a few people invited, but those people would watch, not eat. What the fuck? You're joking No, me. I'm not joking. You would go and watch a feast at Versailles. You were not invited to the table. The table would be... That's disgusting. Royalty. Yeah, and direct family. And then you might have like other aristocrats, I don't know, like lords and ladies from wherever coming in and they would watch the king eat. I'm scandalised. That's also, that's very interesting about like, it's another like, it's another few layers of consuming, isn't it? Yes. Because you are, you're almost feasting on the image of people feasting. Like Sofia Coppola. That's what the experience of watching that is. Exactly, you're like glutting yourself. Or you start to feel a bit sick towards the end when they're like fingers are in the cream. Yeah. Another note here would be Triangle of Sadness, which does that incredibly well. Uh, Gross. Um, Anyway, in a sort of amazing political move, which I think is akin to like, I don't know, Keir Starmer having a pint, is like during the bread riots... Finance Minister Jacques Necker claimed that to show solidarity, King Louis XVI was eating a lower class form of bread. That was the like propaganda, which was like, don't worry, guys. Yeah. In solidarity, he's eating Hovis. Yeah. Which is like a which is like a politician with a pint. This is one of those times in history where the the contrast of food here just couldn't be more stark. Yes. Um And I think it's pretty obvious which side is more gay. But that's interesting because (laughs) the French aristocratic foods are like by Dunan standards, incredibly gay. We've got oysters, meringue, truffle, tiny chocolates, macaron. And we associate those with frivolity and wealth and naivety. But all of that is pretty anti-radical. So it's quite weird that we associate or like Dunan's associating these like femme foods... Mm. In femme, I'm also using with quotation marks around it. Yeah. With queerness... When they're on the sides of the ruling class. Yeah. A small drop in here about why lesbian food has to be considered so, like, is it what, ascetic or ascetic? Oh, I don't know. Like monkish. Yeah, utilitarian. Yeah, so we're talking the black bean soup example. A lentil dal. Yeah, and why... Lesbians have become associated with sort of practical vegan food in the same way they become associated with mm. practical clothing. Yes. Carabiners, like, boots. Uh-huh. A big pot of vegan chilli. 
Yeah. And that's interesting because um, back at the... Well, when we both, we both went to a V&A exhibition called Fashioning Masculinities, and in that exhibition they were arguing that the French Revolution like changed masculine politics forever in the sense that it recharacterized masculinity as something sensible. Your, your dress, mm. instead of exhibiting your power in silks and pinks and lace, you exhibit your power in sensible dress. Sturdy dress. Yeah, and that becoming a new ideal of masculinity that we've sort of kept hold of now. Mm. We still don't associate, associate masculinity with pink and frills and lace. We do associate it with, like, what later came in, which was, like, a sensible farmer. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're saying, that if gay, AMAB people are the aristocrats, Perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> I always want to say aristocrats. The French Revolution if, analogy. Yeah, if they're the aristocrats... They're the anti-revolutionaries. They are, yeah, the Simon Dunans of this world. Yeah. Um, then the lesbians are the revolutionaries. The hardcore radical revolutionaries that don't think anybody should indulge anymore. Who eat gruel. That it's not political <laughs> yeah. to feast yourself on cake. Mm. It's political to feed all of your sisters with a pot of dal. <laughs> I guess one thing is that obviously we're not in the French Revolution now. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing. But then also... I wish we were. Is there something about the, the, the kind of... Hmm. I'm going to use a kind of strife narrative here and I don't know if it's going to make any sense. But is there something about coming from less or coming from hardship and then owning yes owning sumptuousness yeah for sure and like you know rising up and is it actually a radical thing to to not only have appetite but to fulfill your own appetite that maybe in other ways had been quashed it's also topical because we're recording this in november releasing it in november as well and like I was reading something about the fact that um, indulgence or like maximalism is often a response, like it's often a rebellion to minimalism. Mm. Like if you think about, it's, it's like it's no mistake, for instance, that the Western world, the two most indulgent celebrations that we have are in the dark winter months where you have less right. food. Thanksgiving. And Christmas. And Christmas. Which have now turned into these like very like bloated capitalist affairs, but mm. like... It comes from probably initially a need to have um, more or something to look forward to or like an expression of like appetite and joy and whatever mm. in a time when you have less, when it's darker, when it's colder, when it's less, le when it's harder to find joy. Mm. And you could claim, therefore, that like a queer maximalism also like stems from times when queers have been denied everything that they wanted yeah and like there was one article i read where an um, auto straddle blog where um this woman claimed that maximalism this person claimed that maximalism was their gender because they discovered their sort of sexuality and their gender while redecorating their house after their ex-husband moved out wow. and that conversion was about adding more and more stuff yeah and they were like i associate minimalism with the AIDS crisis or like photographs of that time, which is like wasting away and being ill and 
being moved out of your mm. homes and not mm. being able to find just like it being harder as a gay person to find somewhere to live yeah um to accommodate wealth to mm. any of those things that then maximalism comes in as an answer to that as an expression of queer unabashed joy Okay, so when we're talking about food and eating and sexuality mm -hmm. and appetite, there is one person who comes to mind for me straight away. Who? And that's Ruby Tando. Oh, yeah. She's an amazing chef and a queer icon. And she has this book. That was Eat such Up. a good bake-off. Yeah, I actually can't remember it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't think I watched it then. I loved that bake-off. But anyway. then I like when she came out on Twitter, I was like, well, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> you seem really cool um, and she had this book called Eat Up and it's like a collection of recipes and essays and it kind of talks about her relationship um, the relationship between food and her sexuality and for her her um, food and queerness are really intertwined because like she came to terms with her queerness around the same times that she was recovering from um, disordered eating um, same yeah, and I think that is really relatable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say sort of same for me too. Mm. Well, yeah, I would say same for me. Um, and she said that both are about what or who I want and whether I see myself as worthy of that and whether I'm allowed to follow those appetites. Um, and she says that like the way we police the eating of food and the way we police what kinds of foods we're allowed to eat, and dare I say, the way that Simon Doonan kind mm -hmm. of ironically or with his tongue in his cheek makes comments about how gay people shouldn't get fat. The way we talk about food is intertwined with the way we talk about female sexuality, mm. especially. So like... Yeah, we taking can, great care of the aesthetic exactly. over anything else. So we can eat in public... But we can't eat too much. We can't eat too enthusiastically. Tiny and little macaron that pops yeah, in the mouth. Exactly. And you can only eat if you have the right kind of body. The rules that we have about food are like what's socially acceptable. Mm. And that directly maps onto bodies. And, and is also, a kind of gender policing. Yeah, and also sexual appetite as well, because like it's the same way we like, yeah. It's the same way we police bodies in public. Like how much are you showing? How enthusiastically are you like inhabiting your body? Mm -hmm. You know, they're all they're all connected. Yeah. Well, it's appetite. It's all appetite. Yeah, exactly. And actually, when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of an amazing article I read by friend of the podcast, Robin Craig. Oh yeah. Um. Now he was a researcher on series one for us. Great guy. Love Robin. If you're listening, <laughs> hello. Hi. Um. And he wrote this, he has a Substack which I really recommend, mm -hmm. um, called... You mentioned it before, I think. I think I may have mentioned it bef before, Looking at Porn. Um, and he has this one on feederism. So feederism is um, the enjoyment of feeding someone for sexual pleasure or being fed for sexual pleasure. And so Robin speaks about um, a book written by Amy Erdman Farrell called Fat Shame. So she looks at the sort of like moralization of fatness mm -hmm. um, and that in the United States especially, it means an excess of desire. This is, quote, 
an excess of desire, of bodily urges not controlled, of immoral, lazy and sinful habits. Mm -hmm. Then she goes on to like unpack the fat phobia in especially US society. And Robin looks at this and says that the hungry woman who doesn't eat, Mm -hmm. so the opposite of what Farrell is writing about, is seen to have sufficient mastery of her embodied desire, Mm. right? So she's in control of what she puts in her body. She is master of what she consumes. And she's also following the rules, right? Yeah. She's denying herself, which makes her safer. Exactly. And she's hungry, so she's weak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she can't rise so up. It's e- she's be- she is being controlled by the rules and she's easier con- to control because she's following the rules. Yeah. Because she's hungry. Smaller. Yeah. Um, whereas the loss of dietary control, the image of someone feeding themselves or being fed or relishing their appetite is linked to a loss of sexual control and the woman who is eating is also sexually available and willing to fuck. And sorry, the reasoning behind this is is Robin's explaining why feederism could be a taboo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it goes against what society expects yeah. of well, especially in feeder relationships, it's normally a woman being fed. Being fed. Right. Um, that's interesting in and of itself yeah exactly because that's the taboo yeah whereas a woman feeding a man is like 50s housewife yeah it's like someone letting go Mm. and like the restraints being thrown off yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, and there's something amazing about watching someone relish their own appetite and I want to bring in someone um, here who is an icon and who I think has helped loads of people embrace their appetites um, without shame. And that's Nigella Lawson. Oh my God. This is just, this is just chock full of icons. Marie Antoinette <laughs> maybe aside. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nigella is definitely a queer icon. She once um, described herself as a gay man in a woman's body, which I think is pretty... Which is amazing, but also goes completely against Dunan's ideas. What I mean, like, these like parallels are mm. dumb because by his metric Nigella couldn't be a gay man inside a woman's body because a gay man restricts what they eat yes exactly which is why I think well Dunan wrote his book in 2012 and I do think that things have changed since then yeah but I also don't disagree that there is a certain kind of culture that we've talked about on this podcast mm. already exhibited on Grinder or things like that which is like there actually is a, a kind of uh, yeah, a thread of gay culture which is about like having the perfect body, yeah. and it is very aesthetics oriented. Yeah. In opposition to the stereotypical like lazy, slouchy straight man who is not mm. as concerned about what he's putting in his body because um, he expects women to fancy him anyway. Mm. There's, I think that's the difference yeah. there. It's funny that so that does exist. Mm. So why is Nigella a, a gay icon then? I think because she's a campery of herself as well. Yeah. In the same way that Dolly Parton is a gay icon mm-hmm. because like she basically is already the drag version of herself. <laughs> yes. That like Actually, self yeah. um like irony, but like joy in it. It's yeah. like I know that I'm ridiculous and I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. And I know that it works. Yeah. 
And this is literally who I am. And I'm not going to like alter my ridiculousness for you. Yeah. And that's what makes her amazing to parody. And I did want to mention here that someone on UK Drag Race season three played Nigella <gasps> Lawson. Um, shall I show you it? Yeah, please. Okay, I've got the links lined up. <laughs> um, but it basically, the drag queen's sh- shtick was that um, she mispronounced everything. Because, did you know about the Nigella microwave moment? No, was this near the, was near, was this near the fish fingers one? Oh my God. Is this the same moment? No, you fingers? do know. I'll play it for you. You've okay. definitely seen this before. I but. still need... A bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. You're joking. I mean, that's a joke. Have, have you never heard... But that's the, a joke. But have you heard the microwave? That's a joke. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why people fucking love her. I love that Because that's exactly like that's a moment like where she's... in a house. Yeah, but it's like where she's... You're right that she's like camping herself up so much that she, in you know... In the microwave. Anyway, and so... No, I hadn't heard that, but I'm famously <laughs> not on the internet. Wow. Well, it went I've viral. I've another one of those with you where she puts a, she pulls apart a fish finger using two spatulas. And you're like, <laughs> why aren't you using your hands? Yeah. <laughs> or a knife? Yeah. Like, <laughs> she looks like a lobster. <laughs> it's so weird. I also loved that. <laughs> she looks like a lobster. Lord you. Um, I do think I understood that about Nigella when I was younger because we had a we had the I book. I really really want to show. You. Okay, sorry, we had the book How to Be a Domestic Goddess. Yeah, and I thought that was like um, face value, earnest. And I think now that I have grown older and I understand more what like irony is. Yeah, and the fact that that book is full of like how to make things quicker. Yeah, she's all about using pre cooked things or bits yeah. of stuff that's Convenient. already been or frozen. Yeah, yeah, and being in opposition to like the 50s domestic goddess yeah, who's absolutely. like i this ice cream's from scratch yeah so she's almost so parodying that yeah yeah or like flouting it anyway because of the fact that she says stuff like micro <laughs> it means that she's so easy to like do an impersonation of and so this drag queen called ella vade um on snatch game which is where they do like impersonations mm-hmm. mary doesn't watch drag race do you I watch that one I watched the famous lockdown. Oh, one with the Bimini you. one, yeah. yeah. Um, so Snatch Game Bimini when they do <laughs> when they do um, impersonations of celebrities. She likes it hot. TV chef Nigella Lawson is here. Hello, RuPaul. It is so wonderful to be on the show. I want to ask. Anyway, you, I just want to share that with you because, like, as proof of the fact that she's a queer icon. Mm-hmm. And what I love is that she also kind of embodies that maximalist stuff we were talking about because at the end of all her shows she's in she like sneaks down to the kitchen <laughs> at like midnight and she's wearing like a sumptuous this black is a really famous clip as well yeah she's the, wearing the a clip yeah sumptuous black dressing gown yeah like satin dressing yeah. gown and she sneaks down and which one are you thinking of specifically there's a really famous one which is of when she makes these like dark chocolate chip cookies but like at night she makes Uh them at night and they're meant to be a snack and she does the whole camp tiptoeing down the stairs (laughs) thing yeah yeah it's like this like clandestine treat in the dark yeah which i think is so gay Uh, it's gay. So it's her chili I, covered with the chili fairy yeah. lights full of chilies. Did you know she has a leopard print knife? <laughs> and when she proves bread, she puts it in a leopard print shower cap. 
Oh my god, she's an she's an icon. Now there is nothing to be said about that. This is the thing. I wanted no, I fell down a little bit of a Nigella rabbit hole, as you can probably tell. And I know that she's a queer icon, and I wanted to see if I I just I really wanted to dig further into like whether she could be a bicon. Right. <gasps> okay. Oh my god. I haven't got any world breaking news. Here. Okay. <laughs> Like, I found someone who's shanked so disappointed. <laughs> no, but I found a um, newspaper article that she wrote in the year 2000. Bloody hell. And um, the article is called, it was in The Observer, and it's called, Safism is more than designer dykery. So it was in response to this ad campaign. I can't even remember what it was what it was for. Mm-hmm. But it was like, it had two lesbians in it and there was like loads of uproar because it's the year 2000. Mm. And she was like protecting the fact that, you know, we, you know, we should be seeing this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's, two th- it's the year 2000. And she wrote, most women simply have somewhere a fantasy about having sex in a non-defining, non-exclusive way with other women. She goes on, It doesn't actually surprise me that there has been an increase in the number of straight women having lesbian liaisons. We are, as a society, so bound up with the erotic resonance of women. The Greeks who engaged in homosexual affairs didn't regard themselves as homosexual, and many men and women would argue today that all the definitions of sexual orientation are false. It is obvious, really, that any attempt to be unequivocal and exclusive in the naming of our sexual desire is inadequate. Wow. So what I'm gaining from that is can we all agree that Nigella has shagged women? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you can't write an article that basically extols the virtues of women shagging women. (laughs) Like, listen, I think that's a pretty strong case. Yeah. My God, I can't believe she um, published that. She's fucking great. I know. And this is an Observer column in the year 2000. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with food. Yeah, I know. Was she, was she like Nothing a journalist before? No, I just think she went through this phase of just like being a columnist. Right, right. At the same time as, you know, making cookbooks. and. Okay, so now we're saying queerness is way more about uninhibited desire then. Uninhibited appetite. Yeah. So like gay food would be, or buy food would be whatever you wanted to put in your mouth at what literally whatever time. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I would like to just conclude this section by saying that there was um, there was a survey um, in 2008 uh, of the TV chef British lesbians would most like to share a romantic dinner with. And um, Nigella won with 65% of the vote. Wow. Delia Smith only got 15%. I'm not surprised. I'm surprised she even got 15%. <laughs> Sorry, was, the, was it other women TV chefs? Was TV chefs in general? Uh, Who was doing the it survey? It was women TV chefs right. and lesbians. Right, And right, I think right. gay, they did one for gay men and male TV chefs. And Still Jamie picked. Oliver won. Isn't that Doesn't awful? surprise me because who would want to sit opposite the other one? Who are you thinking of? Gordon Ramsay. <sighs> I mean, actually, he is quite a lot I think I'd rather shag Gordon Ramsay than street. Jamie well, Oliver. you are a gay man, as we've established. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> hey, do we do people do people really think that Gordon Ramsay is less attractive than Jamie Oliver? Well, I just think, would you want to have dinner with him? My God, we're off, yeah. we're off piece. Here. No, but I will bring it back by saying that All Jamie right. Oliver, I have a vendetta against because he introduced fat phobic oh. meal plans into 
and like rhetoric around meals mm, when we were at school. So much. But when we were at school, it was all those like Jamie Oliver's revolutionising the anti-obesity. You know, that's true. I hate him. So we're we're going completely against Doonan. Is the I'm saying yeah. I'm I'm against Doonan. The, the 2022 book which would be why all gays are fat. <laughs> <laughs> It would be why you should eat whatever you want. What, yeah. Eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Hey, listener, listen up. Life of Bi is an independent podcast supported by Patreon. Every month, the three of us put hours of our time into creating new episodes of queer content just for you. So if you enjoy listening to Life of Bi and you want to pay us for the work that we make, you can go to patreon.com forward slash life of buy. All we're looking for is the price of a cup of coffee or a pint of beer a month. But if you can donate more, please do. That means you'll be paying for people on lower incomes to listen to the pod for free. Let us eat bread. <laughs> so what the hell? Is bisexual food, if there is an answer to this. Well, we, um, as you heard at the start of the programme, um, we talked with our housemate, Seth, about this in the kitchen a few weeks ago. Mm, it was just after we had read that Dunan article for the first time. We all just finished some lunch and we ended up having this long chat about how we would use Dunan's Kinsey scale. I mean, I do think porridge is not a bad shout. I object. Somewhere on there. What's the most common lesbian breakfast? Well, I think that is porridge. Right? Yeah. So I think it does have to be up there. Oh yeah, that could be a, like on the lesbian end. I'm trying to think of... My dad loves porridge though. He's a big old... <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought it. Emma eats porridge, G eats porridge, Mel eats porridge. Seth eats porridge. Seth eats porridge, I eat porridge. I don't eat porridge. I'm a straight white man. <laughs> I have full English. I think porridge is going to go for me at five. That's my next Yeah. Thing. So then we're moving towards, close towards three, so four. I think like a veggie burger would fall somewhere around there. Mm. Yeah, maybe veggie burger is, burger is gayer than... <laughs> Badger. No, porridge is definitely gayer than I veggie think veggie burger. burger. <laughs> 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 it's definitely... Around a four. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's say veggie burger is four. Okay. Are we going veggie or are we going vegan, though? That's it. It's a pretty We're saying veggie. Veggie, yeah. We're saying veggie because it's, it's, it's four, not five. Okay. Yeah, if it was vegan, it would be five, I think. Okay. But wait, it's one straight because of veggie burger. Zero is, zero is exclusively heterosexual. For, we're talking about, like... Our equivalent is for like AFAB people, whereas that guy's thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a veggie burger, I'm going to say a veggie burger is like a two, but a vegan burger is like a four. Well, what's going to be our bisexual food? We are nearing bi at three. I don't think it's a lemon bar. No. Neither do I. Not for me personally, I have to say. Not for me, myself, personally. I don't think it's going to be vegan for me. I think it'll be veggie. Yeah. A halloumi wrap. My halloumi wrap? I know, it's just what I think of when I think of veggie food. Falafel? Falafel, yeah, I was about to say, that's a good shout. 
a meze platter. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, falafel and halloumi wrap from a kebab shop. <laughs> That's so specific. It just recognises parts of my, I was going to say my culture, but I'm not Turkish. I mean, <laughs> your individual, individual culture. <laughs> the culture of health and water. Because <laughs> I think kebab shop is towards straight. Yeah. <laughs> Like the chip van at uni is the straightest, my, like the straightest vendor of food. But in the I identify so much with that. I think this erases. This just erases certain types of queerness. Not all queers are vegan. <laughs> but this is like you can't be a gay. I think okay. Well, maybe maybe we're putting in, yeah, eggs or fish at three then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Fish is a good shout. Salmon teriyaki. <laughs> Salmon sushi might not be bad. Yeah. Mm. Salmon and avo California roll. California roll, yeah. Really good! <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly we're getting closer. <laughs> That's really good. Nice. The salmon and avo is really good. The pink and the green is very good. Okay, so we think that by food is salmon and avocado California rolls. I mean, I don't, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, sure. Well, it's a flawed concept, isn't it? Because yeah, it's if fucked. queerness is all about fluidity and change, then we'll never know. But I do like the California roll because it does contain sort of many. It contains multitudes. It contains multitudes. I also think an egg would be good for that reason. I agree. I was like telling a, you like about raw eggs. eggs. That's more symbolism than Because, it is. listen, guys, eggs can be so many things. They're liquid, but they're viscous. You can, you can boil them, them and they become a solid. There are different consistencies within it. You can scramble them and they become... Neither solid nor liquid. Sweet or salty. You put them in a cake and they expand. They're fucking amazing. And they bind everything together. And you can whip them with air and they become white and puffy. This is the best. That's it. It's egg. It's an egg. It's a fucking egg. It's a fucking egg. And all the possibilities that contains. I thought you were going to say, and all chickens are by. No, L, that's your brain, not mine. <laughs> now, listen here, guys. We have The internet already has an answer to this. This is the thing. When you when you type in bisexual food, which is obviously what we did, um TikTok f- tells you. No, it's not TikTok oh, this sorry. time. It, I don't blame you for presuming because TikTok has all the fucking You should answers, because I did apparently. the research with you. It's a subreddit. It's a subreddit, okay? And the answer, this is not what you're expecting, and I'm sorry about this, but the answer to what is the most bisexual food is, unfortunately... On the internet. Lemon bars. <laughs> now, what's a lemon bar, I hear you say? Well, we didn't know. Well, luckily, we had our American flatmate, Sess, again, to help us out. A lemon bar has, like, the base of, like, almost shortbread, and then it's just a layer oh, of no, lemony... It's not quite... No, it's not a custard, it's a curd. And why do we know about this? Why have lemon bars been claimed as bisexual? Well, it's the origin story 
of many internet things, one guy decided it to be true and everyone else, for some reason, agreed. There was a meme going around, basically, wasn't there? There was a meme going around, like, this is so, like, early 2000s or maybe early 2010s, I don't know. But there was this meme going around that was, like, a picture of Darth Vader and it it had the text, come to the dark side, we have cookies. Mm -hmm. And he did a riff on that meme and he said... Come to the buy side. We have lemon bars. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real reason for this apart from the fact that I think he considered lemon bars to be an overlooked treat. So there's, yeah. a, there's a problem with lemon bar visibility. <laughs> That's one of the arguments. Yeah. But also he just really likes lemon bars, this guy. Me and Al never eaten a lemon bar before. <laughs> no, so we had, we of had, course we fucking had them. So we had no way of knowing whether or not they were at all bisexual. Mm. We had to corroborate his uh you know yeah, claim with our claim. own evidence and so there was only one thing left for us to do and that was to make our own lemon bars vegan obviously there's flour in this thing that says flour on it <laughs> 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 it's like you don't live here <laughs> oh i forgot i haven't sipped it <laughs> i'm gonna start singing it now okay <laughs> I've only gone over by about 10 degrees. Still should put some back. Okay. When I say degrees, I mean bread. Grams, of course, yeah. (laughs) So now we cool that for half an hour. Mm -hmm. And then we put it in the fridge for two hours more. (laughs) Okay, sweet. So they'll be ready at about six. Amazing. No. Yes. I'm a bit nervous. Okay. Okay. Cheers. Do we need a fork? No. No. <laughs> no. Okay, cheers everyone. Cheers. Well, it's so much shortbread. I wonder what's cooked through. Mmm. I'm nervous about you. Because you're the lemon bar connoisseur. I'm not a connoisseur. Mm. Should there be more of a snap in the shortbread? No, a shortbread should crumble. Yeah. It's quite thick, a quite thick layer, which mm-hmm. is good. But, yeah, just, like, I would maybe want, like, a... Mm. You get that, um... It's so zingy. Yeah, like the back of your... Right back here it goes... Mm. With all the lemon. I really like the texture, actually, of the lemon curd. That's good. We That's definitely should not put all the shortbread in. Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I don't bake the size, yeah. Maybe it's because I don't bake very much, but I think that is, like, absolutely amazing. I'm so proud that we made it. <laughs> <laughs> it is really nice. I'm much more edible than I thought because mm. the curd is extreme on its own, but then, oh shit, that's good. You did find that you came across, you said there was a cute story about one bi person who used them to sort of like, was always mm. cooking them for her family. Mm. On the Reddit thread about them, I found a story of a, of a person who isn't out to their family, but they make lemon bars for every family occasion when they're all together. And so the person really enjoys the fact that they're not out to their family, but they really love the idea that their family are enjoying something that's meaningful to mm. them. That's cute. Mm. Well, I think we can say it's sort of bi because it's, well, this is like the stereotype of bisexuality, of being both. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of all in one. Mm-hmm. Sweet and sour. Mm-hmm. Soft and hard, although this is soft and soft. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's in two parts, which is actually annoying for the bisexual thing. Mm-hmm. 
it's kind of fluid, like the curd is kind of wobbly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's vegan, <laughs> which you hated, but I go with. Because of the colour, it's probably more pan. Mm. You could get a lemon bar right in the pan flag. Mm. It's yeah. a shame about the shortbread. It's annoying, that. I'm not annoyed at all. I'm really proud. <laughs> proud bisexual. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to Life of Bi. Our next episode will be on the 12th of December and it will be the third and final part of our desired triptych. <laughs> After that, we'll catch you over Christmas with a Christmas special. Yeah, I don't really know anything about no, Christmas or do yet. yet. If you liked this episode and you want us to make more, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash life of bi. And you can also suggest topics. And a big thank you to our latest Patreons, Eva, Sarah, Camilla, Paul and Sophie. Thanks, guys. Life of Bi was made, hosted and edited by Elle Potter and Mary Higgins. Sound design and production by Tom Foskett-Barnes. Funded by you, the listener. <laughs>